At this time of year, there is a special festival which celebrates the defeat of huge armies of demons and evil forces by the goddess in her many glorious and powerful forms. It is an epic confrontation recorded in a great Sanskrit text called Devi Mahatmyam. Well, today, with references to Devi Mahatmyam, we're going to be talking about another great divine victory. The overcoming of the enormous battles being fought at this very moment. Battles between religions. Battles over low and high finances. Battling by big businesses. Environmental battles. Battles between countries. Between ethnic groups. In the arts, sciences, the environment, politics, psychology. And above all, the battles being fought for the hearts and minds of young people the young people who will be the next generation's leaders. It's a huge worldwide war. In fact, wars, plural. We hope to throw some new light on those wars and the way in which they will be won. What I find most fascinating is that yet again, the Divine Mother, this time in a very simple form, is at the center of every one of these battles. Well, as John said, this is 2SER 107.3 on the FM dial. This is the Sahaja Yoga meditation program. And my good friend and fellow Sahaja Yogi John Brownscombe is on the panel, putting the program together. And this is Brian Bell on the microphone. These goddesses whose destruction of the demons is written about in Devi Mahatmyam were all part of the Adi Shakti the first power, God Almighty's creative and sustaining force. And she is love, pure love. Talking about the nature of the Adi Shakti, talking about pure love, and talking about the basics of Sahaja Yoga, here is Srimataji Nirmala Devi, the founder of Sahaja Yoga. This is part of a talk she gave in the mid-90s, and it covers in a much more simple and succinct way than I could ever achieve, all the matters we will be considering today. If you see your own desires, come out of what? Not of the divine love, but out of carnal love, out of material love, of out of power love. Behind all these desires, there is love. If you do not love something, you will not desire it. So, these mundane type of loves that you have, for which we spend so much of our time uselessly, actually they do not give you satisfaction because that's not true love that you have. Just infatuation for the time being and then you just get fed up with it and from here you jump to another thing, to another thing, to another thing. So, Adi Shakti is embodiment of God's Divine Love. 
is God's pure love. And in his love, what did he desire? He desired that he should create human beings who would be very obedient, would be sublime, would be like angels. And that was his idea, is to create Adam and Eve. So, angels have no freedom. Angels are made like that. They are fixed. They don't know why they do it. Animals also don't know why they do certain things. They just do it because they are bound by nature, they are bound by God Almighty. They say Shiva is Pashupati, means He controls all the animals, He is Pashupati. He controls all the animals. So all the desires from animals come in, but they don't repent, they don't have ego, they don't think that this is wrong or that is good. They have no karma problem because they have no ego, because they have no freedom. At this point, Adi Shakti, which was pure love. So think of a father who has put all his love into one personality then what is left in him is nothing. He is just watching. Then what does he think? He is just watching the play of his desire, of his love. He is watching it, how it is working out. And when he is watching that, then he is very careful because he knows that this personality that I have created is nothing but love and compassion. And compassion itself is of such a noble variety that he cannot bear anybody challenging that compassion, troubling that compassion or also in any way demeaning it, lowering it down, insulting it. He's so alert on that one and he's very watchful. So a rift has taken place, we should say, from him, from his own desire of love. Now this desire of love was also given a personality, means ego, and that this ego has to act on its own. It became sort of an very independent personality, which was free to do whatever it liked.
So, humankind was created, differing from the animals, in that they had choice. Humans could desire whatever they liked and make appropriate or inappropriate choices. As Shumatichi said, we are free to do whatever we like. Well, if your desire is for a more relaxed, peaceful, well-balanced, healthy life, then we offer you the opportunity to take the first simple steps towards gaining those qualities. Self-realization, the manifestation of the self, the spirit, has been the desire of many people for a very long time. And those who gained it until recently had to work hard for it. But then Srimataji Nirmala Devi found a very easy and collective way to achieve this evolutionary step. So here, for all who desire it, Srimataji offers her gift of what the Buddhists call liberation or enlightenment, what Hindus call moksha, what we are calling self-realization. Just sit comfortably on a chair or on the floor, close your eyes, place your hands on your lap, palm upwards, relax, and for the next ten minutes, follow Sri Mataji. Please close your eyes, not very tightly, and till I tell you, please don't open your eyes. Please put your right hand on your heart. Here, you have to ask me a very fundamental question about yourself. Three questions, three times. Three times you have to ask. You can call me Mother or you can call me Shri Mataji, whatever you like. So ask a question, Mother, am I the Spirit? Please ask this question in your heart three times. Mother, am I the Spirit? spirit then you are your master. So now please take your right hand on top of your center which is placed in the upper portion of your abdomen on the left hand side. Now press it there and ask another fundamental question, Mother, am I my own master. Ask this question three times. Mother, am I my own master? Ask this question three times. I've already told you that I respect your freedom and I cannot force pure divine knowledge on you. You have to ask for it. So take your right hand in the low portion of your abdomen on the left hand side and here you have to ask six times because this center has got six petals. 
Mother, please give me pure divine knowledge. Ask six times. Mother, please give me pure divine knowledge. As soon as you ask this question, the Kundalini starts rising. So now we have to nourish the higher centers with our self-confidence. Raise your right hand in the upper portion of your abdomen on the left hand side. <coughs> Here you have to say with full self-confidence ten times, Mother, I am my own master. Please say this ten times with full confidence. already told you at the very outset that you are not this body, this mind, these emotions, this intelligence, this ego and conditionings, but you are the pure spirit. So now raise your right hand on the left hand side on your heart and here you have to say with full confidence again twelve times. Mother, I am the pure spirit. Mother, I am the pure spirit. Please say this twelve times. <coughs> I've told you that this all-pervading power is the ocean of knowledge, ocean of compassion, ocean of bliss. But above all it is the ocean of forgiveness and whatever mistakes you have committed can be easily dissolved by it. So please forgive yourself and put your right hand in the corner of your neck and your shoulder and turn your head to your right. Here you have to say, Again, with full confidence, sixteen times. Mother, I am not guilty at all. Please say this. Mother, I am not guilty at all. Please say it sixteen times. <coughs> I have already explained that whether you forgive or you don't forgive, you don't do anything. <coughs> but if you don't forgive, then you play into wrong hands. And at this moment especially, you should forgive so that this Agya Chakra, which is a very constricted center, will open out. So, here, now you put your right hand on top of your forehead, and put it down. Put it down, put down your head, please. Here you have to say, 
not how many times, but from your heart you have to say, Mother, I forgive everyone. And don't think about the people you have to forgive. Just say, Mother, I forgive everyone in general. Don't think about them. I find this is the most constricted center here. Please, please forgive. Otherwise you'll miss the point. From your heart, just say. All right. Now please take your right hand on the back side of your head and push back your head. This is the center where you have to ask forgiveness from the Divine Power, without feeling guilty, without counting your mistakes, just for your satisfaction. So here you say again from the heart, not how many times, O Divine Power, please forgive me if I have done anything wrong knowingly or unknowingly. O Divine Power, please forgive me if I have done anything wrong knowingly or unknowingly. Say it from your heart, not how many times is not the point. Now, Stretch your palm fully and put it, the center of your palm, on the fontanelle bone area, which was a soft bone in your childhood. Now press back your fingers as far as possible. And with the pressure move your scalp. But before doing that, please put down your head. Now here, <coughs> again, I cannot force self-realization on you. You have to ask for it. So move your hand so that you move the scalp well with a pressure, saying seven times, Mother, please give me self-realization. Move it clockwise, slowly. Push back your fingers, push back your fingers. Now take down your hands and slowly open your eyes, please. Now, put both the hands towards me like this, like that. Now, please put down your head and see for yourself with the... Sorry, with the left hand. See with the left hand if there's a cool or a hot breeze coming out of your fontanelle bone area. It may be very close to your head, but it should, should be above, not on top. Your hand should be above. Please bend your head. Or some people get it very far also. Whichever way you move your hand and see for yourself. Now, please put the left hand towards me. You have to bend your head, otherwise it doesn't show well. Please put the left hand towards me and put down your head and see if there's a cool or a hot breeze-like sensation or energy coming out of your head. 
Jassiasi. Let's enjoy a few moments of meditation. This is Rakesh Charesia with his work One World to accompany us. I read a book called The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist, a remarkable psychologist with a most interesting view of history. He sees the history of the Western world as, of all things, an ongoing battle between the left hemisphere of the brain and the right hemisphere. Now, this raises a bit of a problem for our program because the left hemisphere of the brain is what in Sahaja Yoga we call the ego, the balloon at the top of the right channel, the Pingala Nadi. And his right hemisphere is the superego, the balloon at the top of the left channel, the Ida Nadi, the channels crossing at the point behind the forehead. So, by way of simplification, what I'll do from now on is refer to the left hemisphere as the ego and the right hemisphere of the brain as the superego. In Sahaj terms, the ego is concerned with action, planning, tomorrow, the male aspects of life, the sun side of our nature. And the superego is concerned with reflection, memory, yesterday, the feminine aspects of life, the moon side of our nature. Now, McGilchrist sees the superego as the master and the ego as its emissary. This might be a little difficult to grasp at first, but I do ask you to persevere. I promise you it's most rewarding. The superego, says McGilchrist, is reason, nous, common sense, the big picture, history, memories. It might not be very good at working out problems or putting things together in a logical way, but it shapes basic understandings and is the source of metaphor and inspiration. That's the superego. The ego, on the other hand, is rationality, logic, the immediate, the future. It's very good at working out details, but is literal, unimaginative, and ambitious. Oversimplifying these definitions, the ego is science and the superego is the arts. The ego is facts 
and the superego is impressions. The ego is the detail, and the superego is the overall. In a state of balance, the ego works out the details and then feeds them through to the superego, which puts this new material into its place in the big picture. It's like a bird. One eye sorts out the seed from the gravel, that's the detail, while the other watches the world around for any dangers. That's the big picture. But, McGilchrist says, the ego, the emissary, gets cranky about playing sec second fiddle, continually having to feed its discoveries to the superego, the master. And therefore, like a spoilt child, it attempts to keep all its new discoveries to itself. The ego has a strong desire to take over the running of things, and the superego does not have the best of defences. It has accumulated experiences and interplay between them, and has feelings and a strong sense of right and wrong, but no logic or facts or rationality to call on. So there are times in history when this finicky ego collectively dominates society, overcoming the superego's collect collective breadth of vision and compassion. In Sahaj's terms, the right side, ambitious, planning, tense, aggressive, pushes the left side down and dominates life. Well, McGilchrist explores the way in which the collective ego can colour our society and culture, can take charge so that day-to-day -day detail and ambition shoves basic principles and the lessons of history and the long-held truths out of the way, creating a pragmatic, greedy, materialistic, uncompromising world. Does that sound familiar? Here's some music to accompany contemplation. The first, you could say, is stimulated by the ego side of the imagination. It's Bach from book one of his well-tempered clavier. The D minor dancing prelude and its accompanying confident and dedicated fugue.
And here, by contrast, is some music stimulated by the superego side of the imagination. It's a little pavan by Ravel, full of impressions and feelings. As an example of how the ego and superego can both contribute to the benefit and enrichment of society, McGilchrist, in his book The Master and His Emissary, writes about the plays performed at the early Greek festivals of drama, very important events which attempted, 400 years before Christ, to provide a deeper understanding of mankind and divinity. These plays were performed to hu in huge amphitheatres, to huge audiences. And they took two forms, comedy and tragedy. Now, in comedy, all the characters in the plays are drawn from the super-ego side of the human being. They all have a sense of the big picture, the grandness of life, beauty and truth. But they take it to a ridiculous extreme. One character, for instance, might have a strong sense of right and wrong, but it's the birds, he thinks that are right and man that is wrong. So he's trying to put the birds in charge of everything. The audience, watching the play from their ego side, see in all the detail the ridiculousness of the character and they laugh. The opposite applies to tragedy. The main characters are all driven by ego. They see their importance in society and the value of their plans. They are driven by logic and rationality like Oedipus, driven to find out about his past, which he does not realize will destroy him. The audience are watching the play from their superegos, conscious of the character's failure to see the big picture, understand the character's lack of common sense, and yet they identify with the hero and go through some of his motions in the way that can purify and deepen the understanding of life. I must say, I, I never thought of comedy and tragedy in this sort of way, but it makes very good sense and ties in with the serious social and religious values 
that the Greeks placed on their drama. by Vivaldi. The character in the opera is longing to find the soul of his soul, the heart of his heart. Well, McGilchrist in his book The Master and His Emissary has a lot to say about the history of the Western world and the way it swings from domination by the collective superego to collective domination by the ego. And there are times when they both contributed to an age, like the Renaissance, where poetry and science where introspection and discovery, where metaphor and fact, where the individual and the collective all contributed in a quite balanced way. However, I'm going to bounce forward to present times. McGilchrist pointed out that during the so-called Age of Enlightenment, during the second half of the 1700s, the ego started to get very pushy. Romanticism in the early 1800s pulled it back a bit, but the Industrial Revolution and colonialism of the 19th century shoved society more and more into the ego. Modernism also contributed, as did most of the political movements of the 20th century. We tend to think of the fascism of Germany and Italy and the communism of Russia and the Eastern Europe as opposites but they were both ego-driven, individually and collectively. Both were totally out of touch with the qualities of the superego, with its sense of balance and compassion for all people. And now, postmodernism, divorcing itself from all great philosophies and religions, 
has contributed to a further divorce from common sense, reason and the big picture. So now, where are we? Uh, it's not difficult to line up uh, the new demons of our age. The greedy and materialistic are running the shop. A nation is defined by things it can advertise, produce, buy, invest in, even to the point of recessions and depressions, single or double dip. Individuality is the basis all activities and rights. We are encouraged to focus on what, differentiate, what differentiates us from others rather than looking for what we have in common. We want everybody else to accept our principles, our beliefs. We create enemies. Politicians attempt to solve problems by aggression rather than conciliation. The media turns every issue into a drama between egos. Our arts are fragmented, abstract, often harsh. Old plays are turned into new events that are at odds with everything their authors intended. Businessmen go hog-wild, exploiting and exporting God-given resources that can never be replaced. Through advertising, we start selling the second rate to three-year-olds. And all pressures are used to draw young people into the materialistic miasma of computers and iPhones and things. McGilchrist defines our age as a climax. For two and a half centuries, the emissary has been battling against the master. Now, he says, it's taken over. The master's big picture with its common sense, discipline and empathy is bruised and out of fashion. We live in an ego-riddled world. So what will bring us back into balance? Well, here we leave McGilchrist. He hopes the future will see a return to the power of the superego, the pulling of the ego into line. But the divine has quite a different way. The battle between the ego and the superego can be overcome by a new energy that supersedes both. An energy that draws everything into balance. An energy that allows values to be established by new means. An energy that taps into divinity. It's the kundalini power of self-realization. Here again, Srimataji Nirmala Devi is much better at explaining this transition than me. She talks about the Mahalakshmi principle. This is one of the forms of the goddess who attacked the demons in Devi Mahatmyam. It is also a principle we have inside us, a centralizing force, a force that can overcome the right and the left, the ego and the superego. As you know, the Mahalakshmi principle lies within all of you in the center. And once you are fed up with the falsehood and also with the hypocrisy of people, you start seeking the truth within. That's how a new category of people are born who are called as seekers, sadhakas. They are very different from others. They don't care for any 
کچی جھیل گئی اور اینی پاور پوزیشن دے وانٹ ٹو سیک دا ٹروتھ اینڈ دس کیٹیگری از دا ون یو آر اینڈ دیٹس وائی یو ہیو کم ٹو سرچ This comes from your past lives also. For many people, I think it's their past life which has brought the seeking in them. Also, the affluence through which you have gone, you got fed up with it and you are seeking the truth. Also, there are people like in India where the tradition is to seek the truth from very childhood. You are told that money is not everything, power is not everything, it's all falsehood. You must seek the truth. So you are ingrained with it. These are called as good conditioning. Now, if it is the just a fashion sort of a thing, that you get into fashion, that let us seek the truth, because everybody is talking about truth, let us have this uh, as a fashion, because everybody is doing it. Then it can be very dangerous. Such people get lost. I've seen people who were drug addicts who came to us first in England, And I was surprised that they were really seekers and they were not taking drugs because of fashion. They were just taking it because they thought by taking drugs they will get into their, their Mahalakshmi principle. Very intelligent, educated, very smart, I should say. People became hippies and they started taking drugs. I discovered that their seeking was only that they should find the truth. But they had no idea as to what is the truth is. So this Mahalakshmi principle was born within them, sort of started manifesting, that beyond all this there must be something. This category of people are everywhere in the world. Especially I was surprised in Russia where there is no talk of God, there is no talk of religion. They are even better than Indians in understanding such So the conditionings of every country has also hampered the progress of Sahaja Yoga within you and outside. So now, first of all, to understand Mahalakshmi principle, we must know that we have two other channels into which we can jump. One is the left, another is the right. And it depends on what sort of a background you had in this life. Because of your background in last life, you have come to the right path. But last life is being covered by this life the surroundings, the country in which you are born, 
your friends, parents, the society in which you lived has dominated <coughs> you in so many ways. That the Mahalakshmi principle doesn't express itself in that full power. We should really suck in everything else and put you onto the throne of a surgery. So you find people, yesterday there were so many people, for example, very nice people, they were all seekers of many lives who came there. But we do not know how many will come to Sajoka and how many will settle down in Sajoka. How many will achieve doubtless awareness? Again, the same problem that they start getting into the habits formed by the left side or into the ego formed by the right side. Now for a Sahaja Yogi to keep his Mahalakshmi principle all right has to always introspect, not to look at others but to introspect. What am I doing? Am I in the left side or on the right side? Which side am I? What side I am following? Am I in the center? Now, how will you judge? The best is to feel your vibrations. Feel your vibrations. With the awakening of the life force in us, the Kundalini, 
and the awakening of the energy centers, the chakras, especially the first chakra, the muladhara, we can overcome the forces of the right and the left, the ego and the superego, and bring about a new age of peace, balance, love, well-being, and joy. So the first thing I tried was to study about the Kundalini, that I should be able to raise the Kundalini, and I knew I had come for that, not for anything else, but only to raise the Kundalini of people, so that they take to the central path, not to the right or to the left. But I told you the knowledge of the left side, plus raising your Kundalini. By raising your Kundalini, you broke your Sahasrara and you entered into the realm of real joy, of reality. All these bad qualities started falling out. In the central path, first the Muladhara came. By the awakening of the Muladhara and the central path, you became very pure people. Your eyes became pure. Your licentiousness went away. Your cheapness went away. And you became very, very I think we should call them the holy people. So first thing is that you must develop your sense of chastity, respect it and enjoy it. That happened because of your muladhara being awakened. That's the first chakra on the left side, where you have Sri Ganesha. But on the right side also we have deities. On every chakra we have de deities to compensate. But Sri Ganesha is in the center. And that's how we were blessed by His powerful purity. And we started understanding the beauty of purity, the power of purity. Thanks to the collective understanding, there are many good institutions that were established, but they are not working out. They are not so successful because the men at the head of it are controlling, but controlling what? Not themselves, controlling others. And all their behavior has spoiled all the work of this chakra. Collectively, we are, if you see around now today, everywhere there's war going on, fights going on, killing going on, destruction going on. How is it? There are so many spiritual people now on this world. So the reason is, the spiritual people have become very quiet, 
very much enjoying their spiritual life, have become very quiet and very uh, peaceful people. But that doesn't mean peace. You have to be dynamic and you have to bring peace in the world. You have to do something about it. We are very much satisfied with our progress, but we are not bothered as to see what is the progress others have done, how far they have gone, where can we meet them, what can we change them. At my level I can change many things, but at your level how many people have you changed? What have you done? That has to be said. So the way to the future, the way to individual and collective balance is through individual and collective self-realization. Let's spend the last few minutes in meditation. Shumatiji encourages us to meditate morning and evening. And a way to bring us towards the balance uh, is this sort of simple exercise. Sit comfortably, put the hands on the lap. Now, take the right hand, leave the left hand on the lap, take the right hand and point it towards Mother Earth. This helps to clear the left side, any problems that we've got on the left side. Now to clear any problems on, on the right side, on the right channel, leave the right hand, sitting palm upward on the lap, and take the left hand up by the ear. Just bend the elbow, take the left hand up over the shoulder with the palm facing backwards and just sit comfortably like that for a few minutes. Now return both hands to the lap and sit comfortably. Right, that ends our program. Uh, information can be gained from freemeditation.com.au on the computer or phone 1300 
724252. Good meditation.